morning. Uh, the passage this morning will be uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1. There are Bibles in the pews in front of you if you'd like to pull those out and follow along. First Samuel chapter one. There was a certain man from Ramathaim, a Zephite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zeph, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? Once they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went on her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning, they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. When her husband Elkanah went up with his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her hus husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, her husband Elkanah told her. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, Pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, 
and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Thanks, Becca. Hi, my name's uh, Lloyd Biddle. I'm one of the pastors here at uh, High Point Church. How are you guys doing? Good, good. Um, this is uh, uh, summertime. This time of summer is kind of a transition uh, time. So you got people getting their PhDs and master's degrees and high school and college uh, degrees. And so th there's a lot of celebrating. In fact, we were uh, in my house, we were celebrating uh, y yesterday uh, with uh, Jared for my uh, boys. When they get to 18, we do a rite of passage uh, transition from from teenager to college man. And so we have been <laughs> busy uh, all weekend. Um, and uh, the other transition that's kind of going on is Nick has transitioned into um, sabbatical and you'll see him and his family around, but he is uh, off work officially until um, the end of August, early September. But fear not, we have some good preaching going on still, okay? So, 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 I just want to give you a sense of what we're doing. We're starting a new series today in 1 Samuel where we'll see how God leads his people through leaders good and bad. And in 1 Samuel, picks up at the end of the period of the judges where God would give a judge to steer the people towards righteousness and the people would follow the judge and be blessed and then they would fall into rebellion and idolatry and for God to raise up another judge. So we're, this uh, series will pick up right near the end of that. Today you'll get me uh, with uh, 1 Samuel and chap through chapter two, verse 11. Then you'll get Vince for two weeks. You'll have Vince for two weeks. Then I'll come back. And then you're gonna have Mike Beresford for two weeks. You'll have Manohar James. Uh, he's a dynamic uh, preacher uh, who will also be preaching. Uh, and then um, in the early August, you'll have a special treat, not on the first Samuel series, but you'll have Tom Lynn, the Harvard and uh, Tal, uh, uh, not Tal, but Fuller trained um, president of InterVarsity will be here uh, preaching, uh, I wanna say it's August 6th. And then Vince and I will close out the first Samuel series. So, so it, it, it invite your friends, all right? There'll be good preaching that goes on in Nick's absence. Uh, so I just wanted to alert you uh, as to what's gonna be going on uh, this summer. Uh, let's pray and then we'll get, we'll get started. Lord, we have uh, our team uh, for the DR uh, mission has left um, yesterday. A strong team uh, from from our church and our and our our friend church on the east side of town have gone to minister uh, to uh, city there and the, the DR. Lord, I just pray your blessing on them that they will recognize that they are your ambassadors for Christ. That you will give them strength, not only for uh, building uh, bathrooms that will be the physical aid to the. Um, to the citizens uh, there, but also uh, that you will fill them with the spirit so that the, the citizens there will see the goodness of God in them. They will see the light of Christ and, and, and ask those who don't know you, what must they do to be saved? So bless our missionaries, Lord. Bring them back safely in a week or so. 
And Lord, uh, and then I pray for myself that you would fill me like uh, your servant Stephen uh, with uh, the spirit of wisdom uh, and power that cannot be denied. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Um, we are starting a series in 1 Samuel, and, uh, and through Hannah, uh, my goal is that we would learn the purpose of trials in a life of joy. Uh, I want to say that in the ordinary rhythm of the average Christian's life, there is joy uh, in the midst of trials that this is the, the rhythm of life. And I first started picking up on this as a young man about age 24. I had this great period of joy, married the love of my life, uh, Deborah, in May. Um, in fact, we just celebrated uh, 28 years of marriage, May 27th, and married the love of my life. Praise God, praise God, he's good. And it was a great time of joy. You know, I was young, you know, I had a babe on my arm, you know, in Christ, you know, and uh, they talk about babes in Christ, babes in Christ. And uh, it was wonderful, but I didn't realize when I got married at 24 that right around the corner was the biggest trial I ever had in my life, beyond a shadow of a doubt. And so about three or four months after we got married, Deborah uh, got pregnant. And about four months after that, we found ourselves in a hospital in uh, the northwest suburbs. I think we were in Arlington Heights, Northwest Community Hospital. We found ourselves, maybe the child was five months uh, delivering. And if I, five months now, the, the prenatal medicine is so strong that it's possible that a child could survive, but 30 years ago, no. And so we gave birth to Christian Nicole, and, and she died. And the first year of my marriage, think of tremendous high and the greatest low I have ever experienced. I've never had any blow that hard in 28 years of marriage. And then things just kind of go on from there. Joy and trials. I had a, a blossoming career with uh, American Family Insurance, and um, had spent about 10 years at the same level and then what brought me to Madison was an opportunity to take a job that was intended for my development. So I came here and within six, seven months, the job had accomplished, it appeared to me what it was intended, which was to get me promoted in the organization, to give me exposure and get me promoted. And this perfect job came open. And they named me the interim director for the job. And I was doing good, and my boss told me that I was doing good. And so when I interviewed with the vice president for the job, I figured, da-da, they're gonna hire me. And it was, da-da, no. <laughs> you know? And so, and I was devastated. I really was devastated. Primarily because it had been a while, it had been a while, and um, professionally, I was watching my peers get promoted, and I was like, man, what's wrong? What's wrong with me? I said, why, why won't God bless me? I love Jesus, and I've been raised in my family in Christ, and why won't, why won't Jenny, why won't God bless me? Little did I know, there was a better job, three months away. A better job that I actually applied for and, and got. Uh, the, the, the job that I 
thought I should have, within two years, the company had, through restructurings, had worked the job out. The job I ended up with, even today, many years later, that job is still flourishing, still a key component. And so I found out that in the midst of life, there are joys and trials, and these trials are intended, they, they have an intended positive consequence. Now, I like the way James chapter one, verse two talks about this. James writes, count it all joy when you run into various trials, because the end of trials is maturity. I want you to say that with me. The end of trials, at the end of trials, is maturity. It's, it's, it's completeness. And so some of the things that you're going through, some of the trials that you are in, whether they're professional trials, health trials, family trials, that these don't have, they're not meaningless. They're intended to give you, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, there's a, there's a maturity, there's an eternal weight of glory that God is building in them. God is, is making you more like him. God is building the fruit of the Spirit in your life through these various trials. Uh, but I'm going to be honest with you. Can I be honest with you a minute? This is the first year I've been walking with Jesus about 26 or 27 years when my theology of trials has started to really begin to take shape and pay off benefits in my life. I kind of didn't understand trials and trials had a way of doing this to me. First, what would come is disappointment. And then what would come is bitterness. You know, God, why me? Why, why, why is everybody else getting blessed and then me? And then if you stay in that place of bitterness for very long, then depression. And I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, if you stay in depression for very long, who knows what could be next for you? God told uh, uh, the, uh, the, the, the two sons, the two sons of Adam and of Eve, right? The one son whose name, help me out, the one, uh, two sons, Cain and Abel. God told Cain, he said, sin is crouching at your door, but you must master it. He was bitter because God didn't accept the secondary sacrifice that Cain offered. And God told him, you, you need to master that. You have the ability to do that. So today I want to talk about a life that is for all of us, a life of trials and joy. I want to say this, this is the main proposition. A godly life is comprised of joy in the midst of trials. And I've got two supporting points under that. I want you to understand that trials are designed to increase your faith, to mature your faith, to perfect your faith. Uh, And Nick would say, Hannah, Nick would say, to make you a substantial Christian, to get you deeper in Christ. That's what trials are intended for. Recognize that joy, second point, that joy springs from a life of faith and obedience. In a life, the, the most joyous life that there can be is a life of loving God, obeying his word day in and day out. Out of that life is where joy comes from. Let me show you that in the text. Understand that trials are designed to increase our faith. Year after year, this man Elkanah went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh. 
where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Know that Elkanah was in the line of the Levites. He was a priest. He was a priest. He was in the priestly line. Now, he lived in a town of Ephraim uh, because the priests didn't have their own towns. God was their inheritance. And so God provided from him by the offerings of all the other tribes. But uh, uh, Elkanah was uh, in the line of, of Levi. That's important to the story because of the son that he eventually has. Now, at this temple in Shiloh, the, 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 the place where the Ark of God, the temple was not built in Jerusalem. So this is a period when they have a portable place of worship and it's located in Shiloh. Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, who was the chief priest, where they were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice three times a year, year, all of the Hebrew men were told to come to the place of worship, to stop everything, and to come and worship. We don't know which festival this was, the scripture doesn't, doesn't tell us, but this is one of those three times. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Peninnah and to her sons and daughters. I believe they had about six children. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion. Now listen, anytime you see polygamy in the scripture, you can know for sure that that was the culture, but you can also know for sure it was not the will of God. The will of God is in Genesis. It says, Adam, he put to sleep out of his rib. He took uh, uh, the rib and formed a woman. And he said, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. It's to these two, this married couple that represents Christ and the church, that all the promises of God were promised. And any time in the Old Testament, in, in particular, where we see it most often, any time when we see Polygamy, you see problems. Polygamy, you see. I couldn't imagine having two devils. Come on, talk back with me. <laughs> Most men can barely keep up with one good godly woman. How are we going to handle two? Amen? And then the cost, uh, the cost. My college roommate, uh, his wife used to tell him, he says, honey, her husband's name was Kenny. He said, Kenny, he said, beauty costs. And I was like, yeah, it costs way too much to have two of them. You know what I'm saying? You just got to have one. Anytime in the scripture where you see two wives, you see problems. You see it here with the rivalry between Hannah and Peninnah. And with Sarah and Abraham, you see Hagar. And as soon as Hagar's introduced, trouble in the home. And then you, I mean, on and on and Leah and Rachel, the wives of Jacob, trouble, come on. And so God knew what was best, but he allowed the culture, that particular cultural thing to take place, but it was not the will of God. He would give portions of meat to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters, but to Hannah he gave a double portion. Talk about trouble, right? You give her, what's so special about her? She ain't got no babies. I got six babies. To to her, he gave a double portion because he loved her. And the Lord had closed her womb, trial. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. So imagine this, two wives, one fertile, six kids, the other can't have a child. And she's in the midst of the throes of despair about this because it can be difficult now, even in our society, where I, I, I gather that women um, don't always have this great 
urgency, married women, to have children, or single women for that matter. It's not, it's not nearly as pressing, though it is still pressing, as it was in this time. In this ancient time, they saw it as a blessing, and to not have children was to mean a curse. And this is the situation that Hannah finds herself in. And uh, I want you to imagine with me uh, the situation that Hannah finds herself in. I like the way Dale Ralph Davis talks about this in his commentary on 1 Samuel. It's really cute. Imagine this. Imagine this with me. He says this. Now, Penina is talking to her children. He says, now, do all of you children have your food? Dear me, there are so many of you, it's hard to keep track. Mommy, Miss Hannah doesn't have any children. What did you say, dear? I said, Miss Hannah doesn't have any children. Miss Hannah, oh yes, that's right. She doesn't have any children. Doesn't she want children? Oh yes, she wants children very, very badly. Wouldn't you say so, Hannah? Don't you wish you had children too? Doesn't daddy want Miss Hannah to have kids? Oh, certainly he does, but year after year, she just keeps disappointing her. Now, now why does, why not? You know, does God love her? Um, well, I don't know, what do you think? Oh, by the way, Hannah, did I tell you that I'm pregnant again? You think you'll ever be pregnant, Hannah? So you imagine this goes on. And she's dying, she's in a battle with her rival. Um, and she, she's desperate to have a child. And my experience has been, when it comes to disappointment like this, when you're going through a trial, that there's a choice that we each have to make. That there is disappointment that can turn into bitterness, that can turn into depression, or there's disappointment that can cause you to turn and pray to God. And, and she chooses the latter. What makes Hannah a great hero of our faith is she doesn't turn to disappointment and the bitterness. In fact, she doesn't even try to get back at Peninnah. She doesn't, she doesn't go there. What she does is she prays. But then we see her husband who's trying to relieve her pain. I've been in this place. Um, after we lost our first child, it was five years without another, and there was no birth control. Five years and no child, and we had Jason. And then another five years, and my wife was like, she was really sensing her clock was ticking, and she was like, Lloyd, I want another child. I said, do I look like Jesus? You know what I'm saying? I didn't say that, but I felt like that inside. You know? But as those years started to mount up, she was like, you know, you know, we can go into the hospital. And I had had friends that had tried medical solutions, and I had seen all kind of horror stories and not a whole lot of success. And I said, I don't want to do that. But Hannah says this, Elkanah says to her, he says, Elkanah, Hannah, why are you crying? Why don't you eat? She's fasting in, at this point. Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? And, and he means well, but to be honest, he's just a distraction. Her pain was real. And she needed to go to, to who, the person who could deal with it, who could at least give her some understanding as to why she was going through this difficulty. And so the enemy wants to destroy you. That's Penina. Sometimes we seeing each other go through pain, maybe we might be a distraction 
But what she does is she turns to the solution. Psalm 119, 8 and 9 says, this is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Um, even our best friends, when we are going through, it's good for us to come along beside each other and to try to bear each other's burdens. But in the end, for some of the difficulties that we have to go through, we need to steer our friends to trust God. Steer them to Jesus. Steer them to the one who can answer. Understand that our trials are designed to increase our faith. God uses tough trials to lead us to really seek him and his will. And I saw this best in the life of Jesus. I was going through a, a, a real disappointment here recently. And I began to, as I began to work through the disappointment, I prayed to God. I said, you know, God, I don't know why I should pray to you. It's not like you understand disappointment. And he's, uh, he, though he is God, he's also a man. And he reminded me when I said that foolishness, when the foolishness came out of my mouth. It's okay in dialogue, in fellowship with Jesus, out of your own pain to say things that are wrong, as long as you are willing to let God correct you. So I'm literally having kind of like a dialogue with Jesus. I'm like, man, why am I going through this pain? I mean, God, you don't even understand. Why am I even praying to you? You don't even understand this. And then he reminded me of two specific times in the New Testament, and there's many times throughout the scripture, where God is, was burdened and disappointed. There's one time when he enters in Jerusalem, uh, Jesus on earth, and he is trying to lead his own people. His own people largely rejected him. Talk about disappointment. Talk about disappointment. God shows up in the flesh. He heals, he preaches, he loves, right? He sets free and his people say, we don't want you. We don't even, we don't even believe you. Send us a real king. He says, all day long, I desired to gather you, but you wouldn't let me. That's one great disappointment. And then there's this other where um, Vince preached about this on Good Friday. He talked about that at his time of greatest trial and need, when he's about to go to the cross, when he needs some help and some assistance, some friendship, he asks his friends to come up, would you just pray with me? I'm going through the toughest time of my life. I'm going through, you know, cancer. I'm about to die. Would you just come? Could you just come and pray with me? And they couldn't even pray with him, he says, for just an hour. He knows what disappointment is. I had to repent right as the words came out of my mouth. Right as the words came out of my mouth, he enlightened me. He says, no, Lord, I know all about disappointment. Your little problem, that ain't nothing. I know about serious disappointment. God understands us. We serve a God who understands, who gets us, and who can help us through. Father, he says, if you are willing, take this cup from me. He says, but yet not my will, but yours be done. And Jesus gets an answer to his prayer. He's about to die, go through the atoning death, and he's the only one. He was prepared for eternity to be the one who would die for our sins and so that we would be recognized to, reconciled to the Father. He's the only one that could accomplish this. And God said, no. He says, I am going to answer your prayer. I am listening. And he sent angels to do what? Not to take him out of the problem 
but to strengthen him so that he can do the work. Some of you right now are going through great difficulties because God is strengthening you because he, he, he wants to do something, you to do something in his kingdom for which you've got to be prepared and for which you've got to be strengthened for, Sister Karen, for which you've got to be strengthened for. There's certain things that you can do in ministry now, Karen, that you couldn't do before that illness. There's a certain level of sensitivity, a certain understanding that you have, a certain compassion that you have, that you didn't have it before the trial. And God is not so much concerned about your comfort. He's concerned about your growth in him. He's preparing you for eternity. So he strengthened him. He did answer his prayer. And being in anguish, this was difficult. Sometimes you're going to go through some difficult times. And, and all you're going to get from God is understanding and comfort and strength. You might not get the relief that you want. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And Paul found out the same thing. And when he prayed, three times he prayed, he went to God. Not to Timothy and Silas and Peter. He went to the one who could heal him from this thorn in the flesh that we don't know, but we know it was painful. And we know it was from Satan, that God can work all things together for good. And so you might be going through hell on the job right now, or you might be going through hell praying about your children that won't come, but God is using Satan's work to accomplish something greater in you, to accomplish maturity, and growth. He's doing something greater, better. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. I cling to that promise in the midst of trials. You need to understand that promise before the difficult trial comes. Because Paul says this, he says three times he prayed, he prayed. And then he got an answer to his prayer. Come on, listen. When you're going through you can pray to God. You should pray to God. And he will give you an answer. You will begin to understand what God is accomplishing to the prayer. He does answer prayer. Just recognize that what God is doing in you is he is perfecting you and strengthening you. And that requires some difficulty and pain. That's what he told Paul. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made, made perfect in weakness. There's certain things God can't do if I'm all in my ego and in my pride and in my own strength. But when I can let the Holy Spirit do his work, and when people can see that I'm suffering and that God can still accomplish his purposes through a suffering, weak, feeble life, then Jesus can get the glory. When we do our things, and it's clear that it is done only in Christ and not through us, then Jesus gets the glory. Do you understand me? When he is weak, that's when he's strong. So listen to his response. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sakes, that should say, I delight in weaknesses, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I was a young man, I couldn't be the pastor that I am right now. 
Now, I was stronger. I had even stronger mental capacity. I could, I could remember things, but I didn't have the pain to be able to preach this sermon to you today like I can preach it now. I didn't have the pain. I didn't have the experience. I had lost children and so forth and, and lost parents, right? Sometimes you got to go through difficult times to be able to get a message across to people and still show that you love God and love people. You got to go through some stuff. So I think of Mike Beresford. You won't know this, some of you don't know this about Mike. Mike has chronic excruciating back pain due, due to some very difficult accidents, car accidents and so forth that he had as a younger man. Some days I'll be sitting in my office and Mike will be coming in and he'll be up early at the Capitol doing a Bible study at six or seven o'clock in the morning and he'll be dragging into the office about 9.30 and I swear to you, he's, been, he's moving like this. And I'll be like, man. And sometimes, man, when you see people praying, struggling, all you can do is just pray for them. And so many a Monday or Tuesday at the staff prayer meeting, we'll pray. We'll go over to Mike and we'll pray and he'll pray. And I notice in Mike's prayer now, now he doesn't always pray for relief. He prays to understand what God is doing in his life through the pain. And Mike's testimony is this. He says, Lloyd, I am really good as a counselor and as a pastor. And I'm really good as a counselor and a pastor because I have this chronic pain. And I was praying to myself. I said, Lord, uh, don't give me that chronic pain. I, I'm going to be a good pastor. I'm going to be a good pastor without the chronic pain. You know what I'm saying? I, 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 I. You know what I'm saying? But he is able to see the benefit of the perpetual trial through what God is doing in his life. And so through that pain, he ministers to God's people in ways that they can receive and they, that they can grow. That's weaknesses showing God's perfection. Now, I was struck by this uh, here recently. Uh, some of you know Phil Porter. Um, Phil uh, is a longtime member of our church. This particular year, she's got us, got her going through a trial. She's had two um, long-term hospital stays on for two different reasons. This latest one on a stroke. Now, if you know Phil, you know that God has given her the most legitimate joy in the, Lord, in the Lord and legitimate love for people. If you meet Phil, you know this. She loves God and she loves people. So I went into the hospital and she didn't look good that day. Shirley, you've been, you've seen her. This particular day, she just didn't look that good. She was so excited to see Becca and I. She was, she was, hey, listen, let me tell you this testimony of how I've been witnessing to the nurses. And next door is my friend from my neighborhood. And I've been telling him about Jesus. And she was so excited. She recognized. She, I'm telling you, I'm telling you that the, uh, the death Paul talks about. I could see death on her, but there was this life. I could see death. I could see this life. I could see death. I could see this life, this enthusiasm, this sense of still being on a mission on the hospital bed that where she may not recover and joy in the Lord in the midst of the trials 
And then I went on vacation and my friend James Hamilton was working for a company whose name I won't uh, call out. And in the midst of working and at the loading docks, uh, having a trailer there, the trailer fell on this guy's leg. And for three minutes, someone came. And by the, the time they lifted the trailer up, blood all over the place, into the day they had to amputate his right beneath the knee. Now this is a vibrant music minister, dynamic, beloved man, and single man. And here's his testimony. He's like, Lloyd, after still being in the hospital now, four months in the hospital, probably three more months before he can go home. He says, Lloyd, what I've seen is how people have just rallied around and encouraged me. This one doctor friend of mine, I call her and she said, listen, I want you to explain how this is all gonna work. We've got to get the wound healed. You've got to learn. There's great prosthetics, prosthetics limbs that, that you've got to learn. It's going to be hard. And, and, and then she, she called him one day and said, this is the time when people like you have lost a limb, they want to kill themselves. So I want to get you prepared. They've never been in this place before. They've never been in a place where they don't have a leg or, could you imagine? I can't imagine. And so this is the time, she says, when people traditionally go through where they feel like they're gonna kill themselves. And so I'm gonna be calling you every day. <laughs> and he was been ministered to. And his, his uh, testimony is that in the midst of this trial, he's been able to help other folks. And he's been able, he's the kind of guy, he's a single man, so he's just been serving, serving, giving, giving. And now he's gotta sit back and watch people serve and give to him. And God is making him more like Jesus through this trial. And then there's Ollie Watts Davis and her doctor, her, her husband, Harold Davis. Flourishing ministry, Harold had been uh, preaching for a long time, but he finally at age 60, God uh, gave him a chance to pastor his own church. And it's been a flourishing time. And then low in the midst of this, at a Moody's Bible conference, he gets a stroke. And so over this weekend, when I went with my wife, we go see James Hamilton in Glenview. Then we go down to Northwestern Hospital and we see Harold, Dr. Harold Davis. And here's the thing. I expected maybe that they would be depressed and his wife is rejoicing. She's like, you know what, Lloyd? Here's the circumstances. God had it so he had this, the, 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 this, the injury, the stroke at a certain time. He was able to get to the hospital before it would have permanent damage. He's expected to fully recover. Now we know his life, our life is gonna change and I'm preparing for change. But I'm just grateful to God that he spared my husband. Joy in the midst of the trials. Godly life is comprised of that. And then when I got to 1 Peter 1, 6 through 8, it was sent for me. In all this you greatly rejoice. This is Peter talking about salvation. Though now for a little while, brothers and sisters, you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. You can make it through the trial. These have come. Here's why they've come. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire. Trials have a way of getting our eyes off the temporal things like our promotions and our career and our money and even our family are off some good things and getting them focused on preparing ourselves to see Jesus. Trials have a way of getting us mature and complete. Our faith is worth more than gold 
may result in praise, glory, and honor. And I see this in two ways. Not only are we going to give Jesus praise, glory, and honor when we see him, but he is going to give us praise and glory and honor. Amen. That is the purpose of your trial. And even though you have not seen him, talk about miracle, you love him. That's, that's what trials did for me when I lost Christian Nicole. I saw God come and minister to me when I had to go home from the, from the hospital without Deborah and without a baby. I saw God literally flood into my room with the love of Christ. And I learned to love him even though I couldn't see him. Come on, talk back with me. I can't see him, but I can tell you by testimony that he's good. That he cares, that he, he's loving, that he's preparing me for some of the best parts of my, in uh, um, parts of my ministry right now. More fruitfulness in my ministry through the trials. More joy this year. God is good. And he's going to build me through trials. And you too. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you don't see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What I'm saying to you, brothers and sisters, is when you add to your faith knowledge, to knowledge, goodness, to goodness, self-control, and perseverance, and brotherly kindness, and love. When you, when you see these things being added, you are seeing yourself that you are getting the first fruits of the eternal salvation that you have in Christ. That's what he means. That when you see that fruit, that is evidence that you are God's child and destined for eternal life in him. And so then, because of that, Paul says, Peter says here, you can rejoice. So that when you see yourself joy, I'm so glad right now, I'm, uh, uh, I'm a slow learner. <laughs> so it's been many trials that it's taken for me Jason, many trials that you watch your dad go through. I'm a slow learner, but I'm, 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 I'm experiencing the joy now. I'm more mature than I was four years ago. I hope you've seen that I'm, I'm, a, I'm a stronger pastor, preacher than I was four years ago, so almost four years to the day now. And that's what God is trying to do. And it was hard, and I'm hard-headed. And so I had to go through some difficulties, and you do too. But in the midst of that, you will see faith and goodness and knowledge and perseverance and patience and joy and brotherly kindness and love. And you will be rooted in the faith. We Christian people have a way. We have power that even when things are really, really bad, we can see really, really good. That's what God has shown me in Mike Beresford and Phil Porter and James Hamilton and Harold Davis, that we have the resources because we don't look at just what is seen. We have a way of looking at what is unseen. We have a way of looking at heart, the heart, and maturity in Christ. And what does Hannah do? Her faith expresses itself in prayer. Listen, listen. 
If you don't have a strong prayer life, it could be that you don't have a strong faith life because nobody will pray unless they believe that God hears and that God answers. You just won't pray. You won't pray. You won't pray if you don't believe that he's there to hear and you won't pray if, he, if you don't think he cares and he'll do something about it. You won't pray. But she prays and that's why we know she has faith. Once when they had finished eating and drinking, they were eating and drinking. She was fasting. Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord. And she was weeping bitterly. God don't, don't mind you crying out to him. In fact, he rather prefers that you come to him as opposed to sinning through complaints and nagging other people. He rather preferred that you would come to him. Lord Almighty, if you would only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. You see, God didn't plan, that wasn't his plan. The trial was not so that Hannah would not have children. If you turn to chapter two, verse 19, she ends up with about six children. The plan was that she would have a great part in the salvation history. The plan is that through her would come a son that she would totally devote to God who would be a leader for the people and would replace the scoundrel Eli and the faithless Eri with a really godly man. That was the plan. That was God's plan for his life. And sometimes we, we don't see his plan. We don't see that he's got something better prepared for us. And so we cry and complain to the wrong person in the midst of the trial as opposed to crying out to God to understand what he's trying to accomplish in our lives. David, what he's trying to accomplish in our lives through the pain. Through the pain. I will give him to the Lord for all the days of my life and no razor will ever be used on his head. And I have found these words not to just be a memory verse. Now for you, for somebody, they're just words. But for me, this is how my God is. I love the Lord because he heard my voice. He heard my cry for help and I'm always crying. Because he turned his ear towards me, I will turn to him. I will call on him all the days of my life. And so what happens? The next day, they get up, they, they, they worship, and they head back to their hometown. And Elkanah makes love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and she gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, asked of God, heard of God. Uh, Hannah, all those years you didn't have a child and I saw Peninnah just making fun of you. How, what happened? I asked of God. That's his name, asked of God. I asked of God and he gave me a son. Manohar and his wife Jasmine, they came to faith 
and they got married in their Indian culture within the first year the family and their friends look for a child and if you don't haven't had a child in one year they begin to get nervous and they're like what's going on what's wrong and he had a preacher he's a preacher and so forth a doctor and, and so forth and so he's preaching but nobody's like it's impacting his ministry because it's like you know obviously God doesn't love you you don't have a child this goes on for 9 10 11 years nearly and then they decide to pray he covenants with his wife, Manohar covenants with his wife, and said, we're gonna pray every morning at 5.30 to 6, and we're, going, we won't, we're not gonna stop praying until the Lord blesses me, Jacob. We're not gonna stop praying until the Lord blesses me. And so they pray, and then when a, a year she gets pregnant, but then another trial comes back. The doctors do a test, and they see that the egg and the ovary are not aligned properly, that, it's, that, that, that the child is it's not gonna be a healthy pregnancy. And so they go in really thinking that they're gonna have to kind of abort. And when they go in, they see a healthy pregnancy, and they see a stain where the problem was. So God supernaturally did something within Jasmine's womb, and they had a son, Jason. Jason, they named him Jason because Jason is the character in Acts who turns the world upside down. So God oftentimes will give us a trial so that we can have a testimony of his goodness. There are blessings that God is willing to give us if we would only just ask. That's what James says. He says, you don't have because you don't ask. And then James goes a step further, and this is what I want you to think about. And you ask, but you don't receive because you ask it amiss so that you can spend it on your pleasures. Hannah learned to pray not only for her blessing, but for God's blessing. She says, I, I will give him back to you. So we had earlier, not this uh, service, but earlier we had two parents come forward and dedicate their children to God. Maybe you have children, Christians, you may have children, or you're gonna have children. But what I'm saying to you, is that having children in Christ is a faith walk. We are giving our children back to God. My son Jason is back there. I always knew he wasn't my son. Sometimes this is how I would get on him. We'd be fighting about something, and I'd be like, don't be, don't be fighting with me, you fighting with God. I'm just a messenger, I'm just a go-between. Come on, talk back with me. <laughs> Now, it sounded good, but it was true. It was true. I knew, I know my place in Christ. I'm supposed to have him become who God would have him to be. Some of our fights was because I was trying to make Jason like me. It took me a long time to realize he was not me. He's better than that. God had a better plan than me and my problems. So once I finally realized to stop trying to force him into my mold and try to make him like Jesus, I could come to him and say, Jason, why are you fighting with me? I'm teaching you what God would have me teach you. You fighting with Jesus and you're in real trouble because you can beat me now. You're stronger, but you can't handle him. <laughs> there are certain blessings that God will give us because we don't ask. He wants to give it to us, we don't ask. And then sometimes we don't ask for the right reasons, for God's kingdom reasons, for spiritual reasons. So as I close, I want to say this. I have learned to become a crybaby Christian. 
I, can, I want to commend you to become a crybaby. Now, I'm not talking about a whiny kid that whines because they don't get their way. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a person when they see the normal, natural, and sometimes really difficult and painful challenges goes to God for relief and not turns to disappointment, bitterness, and depression. The best remedy for depression, those of you who might be struggling with this, check to see if you're not turning to God in prayer and devotion. What I found by being a, God, a crybaby Christian is that God listens very carefully. Now, he's not motivated by, our, by, by tears the way when my kids would be uh, young and they'd be crying and crying and I'd be like, he's not motivated. He, he, looks, he listens for what the real story is, but he does listen. Every time that you pray, God listens. He loves it when you come to him first. That shows that, that, that you have real faith. When you learn in your difficulties to turn to him first, that's a sign that you are maturing. When you stop complaining and start turning in prayer, that's a sign of spiritual maturity. He does not always respond as quickly or the way that you like, but he does respond. Sometimes the response is that he helps you understand why you are going through this trial, why he has given you. Trials are like supernatural surgery where God is working on your heart to produce himself in you. So he might give you understanding of why you're going through, not the answer that you would like. Not always. And what I want to say to you is when you learn to pray to God about your problems, that you're going to become a more substantial Christian. When you pray to God, as a way of life, you will become a substantial Christian. So I want to say to you, are you becoming a crybaby Christian? Like Hannah, like Jesus, like Paul, who cried out three times bitterly to God. Are you becoming a crybaby Christian so that you can grow through your trials? So a godly life is comprised of joy in the midst of trials. Worship team, come on up. Understand that trials are designed to increase our faith. Recognize that joy springs from a life of faith and obedience. One, one last quick story. I was thinking about this based on my experience with my older son and now my experiences with my youngest son who graduated and we'll be dropping him off at UW. He's gonna live on campus. Uh, August 31st, September 1st, and I'll be an empty nester. And uh, sometimes my son Jason will come home. Um, he's living in, uh, in Gurney with his grandmother, and he's uh, commuting from Gurney to UW Parkside to finish uh, the second part of his, his degree in business. And sometimes he'll come by the house. And uh, it, it always seems like it's never long enough and then he's gone. And he'll come and like his mother and I, our, our hearts will like pick up and then he'll be gone and then our hearts will sink. And I began to think about this in relation to Hannah. 
Here's what she does. She brings that two to three year old until the baby was weaned, two to three years old, and she drops the baby off and she rejoices. But every year she comes back. Imagine this, moms. Think about this. She comes and she sees the baby and she makes a robe for him. And then she goes, three years old, four years old. And think about all the things that you didn't get a chance to see that you would have seen. In my case, think about the Little League games and the baptisms and readings and assignments and four, six years old, seven years old. And she goes and she comes and she goes and she comes. And in the midst of this, every year Eli prays for her. And the prayer goes something like this. May the Lord bless you and Elkanah with the children to make up for the one that you have given. But I'm going to tell you, listen, I got two sons, and if one of them I have to give away, if one of them, it doesn't make up. You, they, 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 there ain't no making up for that. There's a trial, and it's continuous, and it's every year, and it's in your memories. And so this is, this is Hannah's life, six kids. And she would do it again. And she would, she rejoices in chapter two and the Lord and his deliverance. But the pain of still the child was hers, but it wasn't hers. And that's the, that is the life of a Christian parent. The child, we see the parent, we launch the child and they're mine, but they're not mine. And it hurts and it's fun and it's lovely and it hurts to go to the last state track meet and it hurts and to drop them off and it hurts and so the Christian life it's about joy Jose in the midst of trials and what a wonderful ending we have in store and a great reunion let us pray Lord we thank you for Lord I want to thank you for the trials you know I'm hard-headed and some trials I've had to go through because I didn't learn the first lesson. I'm trying, Lord, to learn now faster and to add the character that you want me to have to become more like your son, Jesus. Thank you for being merciful with me. Use this sermon to bless somebody who's in real pain today, who doesn't understand the misery and if, Lord, if you can use this sermon to give them a little bit of joy in the midst of the struggle, then my work will not have been in vain. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.